0: Locomotive sipping drinking Arizona mixtape just around the corner did a lot in California. you can't wait to drop this don't you yeah they gon' have fun with that smash like songam in my soul's gonna break through like hello and bad. welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with formula 1 my name is Mark Hamilton and joining me today the one the only Mr. Mark Daly. it is Friday February 17th, we are one week away from Drive to Survive Season 5. We are two weeks away from preseason testing at Bahrain. We are three weeks away from the very first race of the 2023 Formula One campaign. Mr. Daly, how the heck are you, buddy?
1: I'm good, man. Jeez, has this, this off-season gone faster than ever? I, ca- I can't believe it. We'd, we, we've we been counting it down literally every week since <laughs> since Abu Dhabi last week, and, and, and every week, I'm just like, it, it's getting closer and closer and closer. The, the next couple of weeks is going to be almost unbearable, but I, I, yeah, I can't wait any longer. Let's just get this thing going. Let, let, let's start it now. Can we move the first race up a couple of weeks? Please, please, let's just do that.
0: My friend, we've got about two and a half hours worth of content today, but I know that you wanted to kick this show off on a positive... Before we get into talking about the FIA for 45 minutes, I know you had a really positive vibe you wanted to kick the show off with.
1: Yeah, totally, right? Uh, so every week, that for, for the longest time, we've always asked uh, you guys to, to do us a favor and and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever. So, um we should do this more often and shame on us uh, for, for not doing it. But uh, we got to, I just wanted to read out uh, a nice review that we got from TL99 in the USA via uh, Apple Podcast. And the review is uh, Mark and Mark do an amazing job with this podcast. These guys are extremely knowledgeable about the sport and are always up to date on anything happening in F1 best f1 podcast out there so that 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 is awesome then and that is the easiest thing to do that to to help uh, to help support us and help us grow the show so tl99 thank you so very very much for that and wow talk about a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about just not tonight we're getting together with seth on sunday and you're you're going to do the rich energy show finally so i know that uh, you is the contest still open or is that closed now Content so great. I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: Today is the very last day to enter. So we will be doing the draw. We'll announce on Sunday when we drop the episode, but we will be drawing on Friday morning. So just hours from now. So I would encourage you to go out there and and drop your entry. So Navigate over to our Twitter page. Check the front page. It is pinned at the very top. And look at this. I'm just peeking over at the live chat. Mr. Charlie Tinkler has dropped into the chat. You know the Formula One season is back when...
1: Awesome! Great to to see people. Uh, always in the live chat. Great to see Charlie. I I just feel maybe it's just me it hasn't been paying attention, but nice to see some of the regulars popping into the uh, the the live chat. Okay, so well, you mentioned all the oh, so yeah, preseason testing again is literally like what a week away now. Today is what? No, it's already no, yeah, like a week away. The twenty third to the twenty fifth. I'm kind of like losing track. This week has been a blur. Like it is literally, I can't believe it's Friday already. It is just, uh, I I feel like I, I dragged myself out of bed on Monday morning and now we're sitting down here. I'm full of Friday vibes, so that's that that that's that's awesome. Anyways, getting off the track here, and we like you said, we literally have two hours and seventy nine minutes, if there's such a thing, <laughs> worth of content. And we've got some messages. First message comes from TC on Twitter. Hey guys, I often say, I often hear you say, customer teams will never win a title with McLaren. If you knew a Honda engine was two tenths of a second slower than a Merc for 2026. Wouldn't it be better to be a Merck uh, customer? Could mean you have the best engine of all at 10 teams, but as a customer. Hammy, what do you think about that? Do you want to reply to TC first?
0: TC, thanks so much for reaching out. This was obviously in response to a comment that I made last week when I said, McLaren will never win a constructor's title or a driver's championship as long as they are a customer team. And by customer, I mean, they're buying their power unit effectively from a competitor. Is it possible? Absolutely. Has it happened? absolutely. I just, I I think that there are certain, I think there are certain very poignant benefits to being a works team. And that's really the symmetry between the development of the car and the chassis and the cooling package and the power unit. And I think if you are buying your power unit from another team, the design of your car isn't even a consideration in the development of that power unit, that that power unit is being developed with with the works team car in, in mind. So oftentimes, you are being forced to be reactive and and design your cooling package, which in turn influences your aerodynamics in response to the power unit that you're being provided. And you also get to give very, very, very little feedback to your engine's unit or your power unit supplier in terms of feedback, revision, and changes things like so there is there is an intrinsic benefit to being a works team and not being a customer team. All of that said that, yeah, in a perfect world, if you knew as McLaren today, that you could sign up with Honda and be a works team for 2026, but your power unit is going to be two tenths of a second slower than the same Mercedes power unit. You know what? Maybe, maybe that does influence or inform your decision making in some way. But at the same time, maybe you can make up for that two tenths of a second just in the way that you package your cooling and you can package your or design your aerodynamics. Like maybe in terms of raw power, you're at a disadvantage temporarily, always temporarily, but maybe long term you're better off because you've got more control over the aerodynamics of your car. So I think there's a lot of considerations there. But TC, great question, my friend. Thanks for reaching out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I think uh, is also an interesting uh, comparison is a couple of years ago when Honda, or sorry, Honda, not, um, I, I'm trying to say Red Bull was the, thinking of moving away from Renault. They had the Honda engines already in the Alpha Tauris. They had the Renaults in their in the, in the Red Bull team, and they're able to basically compare them one-on-one. And then they've been looking for a good reason to get away from Renault for years. And then when they're able to really see the data from, from both engines, you know, I I still find that a really weird arrangement, but whatever it worked out and they, they made the, the switch to Honda and well, that was a, that was a situation, a gamble but not really, but it certainly worked out for them. And TC, awesome question. Thank you for that. Next one comes from Samantha in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, guys, I love the podcast. I've been listening for almost two years now. Your voices fill the cabin of our car whenever we do a long road trip. Trip. Pardon me. A question, as F1 races become more and more expensive for the average fan, what do you think the long-term impact will be on the popularity of the sport? Great question. And there, there is no doubt that the, the, the prices are going up all the time, right? I mean, we, we've heard that from... People in the community that have told us, you know, this is what uh, we were looking at for tickets in Miami this year. This is what they're going to be next year if we want to go back to Miami. Uh, you know, Cota maybe not so much, but I mean, the, the the prices for tickets across the board. It doesn't matter if it's in the USA or if it's uh, in Australia or anywhere in between. It's just becoming more and more expensive. Plus, you factor in the the cost of just getting to a race. So, you know, uh, airline tickets, hotels, and whatnot. Because you know, if you're going to stay anywhere near the track, I mean, th- those hotel prices are going to be at a premium. So I don't know. I mean, what with, uh, you know, we, my, my kids are starting to grow up a little bit now, but we're, you know, my, my youngest is now seven years old. Pardon me, eight years old. I should know that. Um, but I mean, it would be. It wouldn't be affordable if we were to, to go all of us. And, you know, the the last number of years as the kids have kind of been growing up, it hasn't really been practical and at times affordable to go on a long trip. So we've just, you know, we, we've watched Formula One from home for the last several years. And to be quite honest, I don't find it's it's impacted my love of the sport or my enjoyment of the sport i mean th- of course there there is no doubt that there there's nothing like being at the track not just for sunday but for the entire weekend if you can, can manage to swing that uh, three four day package or whatever it is but I, I i don't know i mean i i think it would be a personal choice but certainly i mean there's you know millions of people tuning in globally every every time there's a race weekend so i i really don't know how to answer that one hammy maybe you got a little bit more
0: yeah, I, I think I feel the same way that you do. And I think your response was was very thoughtful. And, you know, I think last year I probably came to that conclusion that I may have been priced out of watching Formula One live, honestly. And I'm mm-hmm. really fortunate that my wife and I have had the opportunity to see Grand Prix all over the world. So we've satisfied that that itch, so to speak, but at the same time when I see our listeners and I when I see people going to some of these fantastic new tracks, I do get a serious case of FOMO. And it's less about being there, but it's more about missing the community. Because when my wife and I would go to Grand Prix, we'd miss we we'd meet people and we still follow a lot of these people on social media and we built a relationship. But I've never been to a Grand Prix knowing that I'm going to see people there that I know either from this community or, or friends that we've met at previous Grand Prix. And that for me is something that I definitely do feel that I'm missing out on but like you it, it would be different for us now because if we were to go I don't think we could go without our son and that significantly increases the cost of the travel and the and the hotel and the food and the tickets and I just think we're in a trickier place to your point though like has it has it dampened my enthusiasm for the sport um, maybe not, but again, like you, we've both had the chance to go to Grand Prix in multiple countries. I think for somebody that's new to the sport, maybe it's different that they are already like imagine coming into the sport and being super enthusiastic, but already being priced out of it. Like that—that's got to be pretty. Pretty un- unfortunate, right? Like, I really feel for those people. So, Samantha, thank you so much for the support. And this is a really great question. Um, but I-, I do wonder, and I, I wonder what the impact's going to be less to the old folks like me and Daly, but more to the younger folks that are super excited and maybe have some disposable income and are already priced out. I think that's really tough.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? I mean, I was kind of thinking too uh, about like the Super Bowl last weekend, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, I think going to a Super Bowl is a little bit out of my, you know, my. <laughs> My price bracket, but that doesn't dampen my enthusiasm to watch an NFL game. If I want to, I can still buy some tickets and go and go down to Seattle and watch a game there. Or I, you know, I have some friends that, um, you know, they, they travel all over. Like there's one couple that we're friends with, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit older, but, uh, Bruce and I, we used to work together and, uh, you know, he's about, well, I mean, he's in his mid sixties now, so he's, you know, quite a bit older than I am, but when they retired, um, you know, several years ago that we, you know, every time we go on social media. They'd be flying all over the place. It'd be like, well, we're going to Chicago for a long weekend, and then we'd see them at Soldier Field, and you know, because they're 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 big full, uh, football fans. And uh, not so long ago, they were in Dallas and they went to a Cowboys game. So that that seems to be something that they do. I, I mean, so I mean that's still doable, and you know, whereas the Super Bowl isn't. But I mean, Formula One is different in that respect because it's almost like going to it's almost getting to the point that it's almost like going to a Super Bowl for every race if you want to not not quite as obviously and and let's be honest that's what Liberty
0: wants right that is exactly what Liberty criticism or not that's exactly the vibe that that Liberty wants is that every event is like a Super Bowl
1: yeah, yeah, 100%, right? Talking about the Super Bowl, I'm just going to throw it out there. What did you guys make of that uh, that controversial penalty right at the end of the game? You know, it was it was going kind of back and forth there. I'm just going to throw it out there. Eagles fans, are, are you feeling like you got... Uh screwed a little bit you know i kind of it, it said like the nfl equivalent of what we saw with uh with max and lewis a couple years ago that that that's it. michael massey was incognito as referee in the super bowl okay, last week come
0: on we're past that Move, moving along moving are we along.
1: really are we really past it apparently we're not, still but. doing this podcast so clearly we've we, moved on yeah, apparently we have, right? Anyways, uh, thank you again, the Great email. Uh, next one comes from Anya in Taipei, Taiwan. And Anya has to say, I love your podcast. I look forward to every new episode. My only complaint is you do not do enough episodes, but I am grateful for the ones that you do make for us. As a new fan, I enjoy your podcast because I feel like I'm learning something new every single time that I listen to it. What do you think about more races in Asia? Today, we are only in Japan and Singapore, despite more than a billion people living here. Do you think we we might go back to uh, Malaysia what about going back to Korea do you think an Asian based team would be a good idea thanks for the brilliant show love Anya thank you what an awesome email again uh, we're, we're blessed to have such uh, fantastic uh, messages and emails from everyone this week I totally agree with that and we've we've talked about this Mark for a good number of years to to be a, a truly global sport you have to have races that, that basically cover the globe and, and Anya nails it right there, there's more than a billion people if, if, if not not more. I mean, if you include like the Indian subcontinent in in that part of the world, I mean, there are billions of people and and we've seen races come and go. Obviously, China's kind of been off and on over the last couple of years because of COVID or I mean, it's been off, but it sounded like it was going to come back on before being scratched. And Korea is one that kind of came onto the circuit or to the calendar for a little bit and disappeared. And then, you know, Japan has always been there. But I mean, you know, it's never really been expanded in Asia beyond Japan, at least in a. Um in, in a really, I guess, permanent sort of way, Singapore has been fairly permanent. Malaysia was on the like the calendar for a good number of years, and unfortunately dropped off. But I just don't feel like the the presence in the Far East in Asia is as solid as it could be, and I, I think it needs to be, uh, just to you know, to to make it a truly global sport. But you know, I think uh, you know we had that uh, conversation a couple of uh, weeks ago about potentially an Asian based or an Asian owned team. And uh, I think that would do something because I mean, we, we talk about what would an American driver do for the popularity of, um, you know, Formula One in the USA. And, you know, we, we've had this sort of like this circular conversation about Haas, about, you know, it's an American F1 team, but not really. Right. So, I mean, it's you kind of like extrapolate that and kind of, uh, you know. Change that conversation a little bit to you know what could an Asian uh, Formula One team do for the popularity of the sport there? Because I mean, huge potential market, and if we've seen anything that fans, it doesn't matter if it's Japan, China, in in Korea, I mean, it Formula One's popular everywhere. So I think that to a, you know to a very large extent they're missing out.
0: I think this is a really great question, and and it's interesting because. I actually had to go back and look at the global calendar to see where the races are. And there is a disproportionately small number of races in a region of the world where there are billions of people and an absolute ton of disposable income. These are highly right. developed economies, right? I think, obviously, we were close to Vietnam and and that fell apart and that will never mm-hmm. come back. Uh, and there's obviously a, a huge political scandal tied to that. Korea, I think we're all excited about Korea. It was the wrong race in the wrong part of the country at the wrong time. It was it was far from any major metropolitan area there was plans to build up a city around the track it never happened that one fell apart India was unsuccessful. I think mm-hmm. MotoGP is going to go and start racing at that track, but I don't know if that's a possibility for the future. Obviously, Liberty had big designs on on mainland China, the PRC. I think they had hoped to have multiple races there just like we're going to have multiple races in the United States, but of course, to your point, we haven't raced there now since 2019. So we have Singapore and we have Japan repping the entire region, and as much I think as we all love the Malaysian race, I don't think it was making money based on the sanctioning fees that Formula 1 were were charging and I think for sponsors in the region, because of its proximity to Singapore, it was really hard to to support both of them. And I think a lot of them tended to support the Singapore race just because it was a little bit more glamorous and had a better date on the calendar. And of course, night races tend to have be a little bit higher profile anyways. But I, I would love to see more races in this region. The challenge is we're at 23, 24 races already. And again, to get another race onto the calendar, unless the next Concord Agreement in 2025 significantly expands the number of races and the GPDA <laughs> signs up for that, what are we going to do? Have 30 races to accommodate some of these great places? Because I think you and I could sit down and probably build a business case for 15 15 tracks 15 countries that should be hosting Formula 1 Grand Prix but it is it is not amusing and it is disappointing that there are so few races in a region that is so rich in in motorsports heritage
1: you know you make a great point there mark that, uh, that 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 you could come up or we could come up with at least like 15 other venues and tracks globally that would want to host a Formula 1 race and I kind of go back to what you were saying just a few minutes ago about how Liberty basically wants every Grand Prix to be a Super Bowl type uh, event, right? And if there's that demand out there, I mean, that gives them the opportunity. I mean, if you have people vying to to bid to get a Grand Prix at their track and lock in for a a medium to long term deal or whatever it might be, you know, they, they they can you know jack up those those sanctioning fees and those race hosting fees, which it just means more money in their pocket. And to, and to all the people who aren't us that are making money off Formula 1, which is kind of... Anyways, we're, we're having a couple of technical difficulties. We're going to just pull away for a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side. We'll get to Hammy re-engaged here and then we're going to talk about um, the car launches. We've had more car launches this week and we'll talk about those in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm Alex
0: Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly.
1: All right. Welcome back. Part two. We're getting going again here. Technical issues. Uh, the gremlins uh, seem to be floating around in the studio tonight, but I think uh, we're all back and up and running. That was very bizarre, Mr. Hamilton. Like all of a sudden you were silent and frozen and uh, we became disconnected. And I-, I toggled over to the browser that had the live stream going and <laughs> you were there animated and, 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 and as alive as you could be. Very strange, but uh, that's uh, too bad. I hope uh, that uh, that the live stream kind of picks up. It was starting to pick up a little bit of steam. So that's a little bit uh, disappointing. Anyways, let's get try and get the show back on track. So you were trying to say something right before the break. I could see you waving your hands and moving your lips and, and nothing happened. So what, what did you want to say? Like, I know it was gold. So just uh, that was your opportunity to make up for it. The, the timing for this is perfect because I don't think this person was
0: watching the live stream as we were speaking, and I'm not about to dox this individual who may or may not live in the greater Chicagoland area, but <laughs> one of our listeners DM'd me while we were chatting and says, quote unquote, dude, just bought tickets to Monza. My oh, friend, enjoy wow. your youth. Wow. Enjoy that's awesome. your youth. Enjoy these opportunities because they are fleeting. So kudos yeah, to you. This is the is awesome. uh, second year in a row. This individual has gone to a grand prix, but, uh, very, very, very happy for you. Uh, all cool. of that said, we should probably get back on track, my friend. And I am dying, dying to talk about some of the cars that were revealed the last couple of days.
1: Okay, so let's talk uh, first about the uh, the livery launch for the W14, uh, the uh, the Mercedes Challenger for this uh, this upcoming season. I love it, the semi-gloss black with that little sort of teal green swoosh down the side of the car. Uh, very uh, obvious, again, that uh, they're going with the side pl- podless Concept Like they went uh, with last year that, you know, didn't really sort of kind of work out. But, um, you know, there's some speculation that if this is anything that looks like the car that's going to hit the tracks, um, you know, next week coming up for uh, winter testing, then also for the first Grand Prix, that it might look quite a bit different by the time we get to race five or six. But I mean, just at least looking at the delivery the, the of this car. I, I think it's gorgeous. I I love the semi gloss black look. I love the like that sort of lemon yellow for Lewis's number, which really pops on it. And then uh George has kind of got like the lime green for his uh personal sixty three on there. I think it's a great looking car. What what do you think, Hammy?
0: I, I totally agree. And you know, according to Chris Medlin over at racer.com, team principal Total Wolf indicated that Mercedes is staying true to its bold approach of last season by retaining its slim, or as you said, zero pod, side pod design, but indicates and hints that there could be significant reworking of the aerodynamic philosophy as the year goes on. And here's a quote from Total Wolf himself. It's important to be bold in this sport. And I'm still proud of the solutions we put into the car last year, says Wolf. The narrow side pod is not something that we believe is fundamentally the reason that we didn't perform. There are no holy cows in our concept this year. It's not that we don't want to follow anybody's idea. We stayed with the narrow side pod as it is, but you could uh, well see some development from now on, which we could come with upgrades and the side pods will change. Not very soon, but we are looking at solutions, but it is not a core fundamental part of performance for us As we judge it, Uh, throughout last season we have analyzed it back and forth whether it was right or not. And obviously, you can see the side pods are very different to any other car. But we believe this is not the performance relative part. And finally, he concludes we are looking at everything in the side pods. This is the first iteration, and we are going through the first few races. That's going to change a little bit. But if you want to change a concept completely, you're making not one step back, but probably two or three. And that's why we stayed where we are. And I love the fact that we stayed bold, and we are just continuing to follow what the science. Says for us. Now, my impressions of the car, of course, for those of you that remember in the early part of the 2020 season, which was probably midsummer because the season started so late because of COVID, uh, Mercedes took a very, very cool and bold design change and went all black. And this was, of course, a response to a lot of this social social justice movements that were happening globally in a response to We Races 1. But I think the broader Formula One community love the black design and they retained it in 2021 when, of course, they won the constructor's title. But it was gone last year. They went back to the silver, teal, black, gray design that they'd had ever since really 2010 when they came into Formula One. The fact that they're going back to black is super exciting. It's a combination, as Total Wolf says, of raw carbon fiber, so raw exposed carbon fiber. So you get that beautiful weave when the sunlight Hits it and a combination of matte black. A couple of things that we did pick up on, and by we, I mean. Me reading Twitter and responding to other people's uh, identification of changes is the cockpit of the car has been moved forward about two hundred and forty millimeters, which is significantly farther front than it was last year. I don't know what two hundred forty millimeters is in America—five feet, two feet, something significant. (laughs) Well, it's it's, about two hundred and forty millimeters forward, which significantly changes the center of mass and the center—not the center of gravity, but the center of mass in this car. So as a result, there's probably ripple effects. Changes throughout the rest of the car that we haven't quite seen. Now, I I know we've got a couple of people that reached out to us and indicated that the car that we saw today or earlier this week is probably going to be very different than the car that's going to be rolled out for the preseason testing in Bahrain and will be significantly different than the car that we see in Bahrain for the first Grand Prix. And again, very, very different than the car that we're going to see in Australia. But From an initial glance, it's very, very cool. It is interesting that Total felt necessary or felt it necessary to respond to people's questions about the zero pod. And maybe the fact that he was responding was just because there was a lot of questions that they retained them after a relatively challenging year in which they only won a single Grand Prix. But that car in the second half of last year was very different than the car in the first half of last season. So maybe it makes sense that they have confidence in that zero pod design and they can continue to build on it. But overall, super, super good looking car.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just for for clarity, uh, 240 millimeters is 24 centimeters, which is just about nine and a half inches, about 10 inches or so, so it doesn't seem like a lot, but in Formula One terms, that's like a, like uh, almost a mile, right? I mean that that is a huge amount of uh, a change in it. So they they must have a very very good reason to to shift the cockpit uh, forward for that. But you know, li- like you say, I mean, it is a, a great looking car and very interesting how he really doubled down on that explanation about the the, the zero side pods and and you know I, I was really. Uh, it really sort of stuck out at me this week that that he really seemed to go above and beyond to really defend that that they really feel like the the issues that they had with the performance with the W thirteen last year wasn't related to the the side punts at all and and like you say I mean they were very they, they, it was a very different car come the end of the year last year it was very much uh, more competitive finishing 22 than it was to start 22 so you know it's going to be a couple of weeks yet before we see how competitive everybody is this year obviously and mercedes is going to be a a team that always draws their fair share of attention but you know the, the thing is that the longer that they I don't even want to I, I guess by, by their standards uh, it would be struggling right but you have to be kind of worried if you're anybody not the Mercedes that when they get this figured out I'm not going to say if they get it figured out that they're going to be back to their old dominant uh, ways and if, if that's the case look out okay the next one up is the Ferrari SF23 stop, 23. stop. stop. Oh, oh
0: stop whoa I'm stopped we're moving to fa- this I was just thinking this is almost like Ramadan it's like Hanukkah it's Christmas we have so many gifts today like we're just casually like, here's the 2023 mercedes w14 now we're under the front the last few weeks have been so sparse and we've got so much anyways i didn't mean to stop i was just thinking we are very very blessed today with all the great cars that we can talk about my yeah. friend take it away ferrari Ferrari. Okay,
1: yeah, the SF twenty three. That's a uh, Ferrari's uh, challenger for for this year. Taking over for the uh, the F one seventy five from from last year. It's a uh, a little bit more ready than last year. A bit of a lighter color, but uh, still, there's a lot of black in the livery this year. The what really stands out for me is basically the shark fin on the back of the uh, behind the airbox running down over to the engine cover and then towards where the uh, the stanchion is for the for the rear um, for the rear wing. That's all black. I don't know. I mean, compared to some of the other liveries we've seen too far it's it's a little bit i mean to me it doesn't look as nice as it did uh, last year i mean the line of the car itself is, is is beautiful looking i'm just not really all that blown away by the uh, by, by the livery of the car itself great looking car um yeah i don't know what, what do you make of it mark
0: there's a really great qu- quote here from Ferrari head of chassis area, Enrico Cardillo, he notes the following, and I think this is a really great way to sum up the car in its entirety, but our 2023 car is an evolution of the one we raced last year, but in reality, it has been completely redesigned. On the aerodynamic side, we increased vertical downforce to adapt further to the new aero regulations and achieve the desired balance characteristics. The suspension has also been redesigned to support aerodynamics and increase the range of adjustments that can be made to the car at the track. The most obvious changes are in the area of the front suspension where we have moved to a low track rod. The front wing is also different, as is the construction of the nose, while the bodywork is a more extreme version of what we saw last year. So while they've done fairly significant work to this car, I think the main takeaway based on what we've seen so far is that it really is evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. And quite frankly, that's maybe what we should expect when you consider the fact that this team really has new leadership in Frederick Vasseur that he wasn't there to provide a significant amount of input into this car. And I think if you flash back to the last season, this is a team that did achieve 12 poles more than anyone else in the sport. And they had what was no doubt... No, undoubtedly the fastest car in the sport over the first half of the calendar. And of course, I think what we discovered last year was the reliability issues they were having with that power unit, specifically tied into the MGUH, forced them to dial that power unit back significantly at the back half of the season. So in the back half of the season, they compromised top end speed for reliability so that at least they could finish those races. But Ferrari really feels that they've dialed in and addressed those reliability issues and that the aerodynamic package that they were rocking last year was pretty effective at helping them achieve these top speeds so i think i think they didn't need to do significant work and significant tampering now of course they had all of last season in the winter to continue to refine run the sims get it in the wind tunnel but overall it's more of an evolutionary and a significant evolutionary change as opposed to a revolutionary change but partnered or paired with a significantly more reliable power unit this is a car that should absolutely be contending for championships this year.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, I, I don't think that there's any doubt that they were the disappointment of the season because uh, of 2022, that is, because it looked like uh, when, when the season started that it was going to be a fight between Max and Charles all season long. And it, it just seems that. Uh it took a while before it obviously became pretty obvious that th- this was going to be Max's championship uh, to lose. But for maybe that 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 first, what, two to three months, maybe up to mid-June-ish, it, it really felt like this was going to be a legit Ferrari v Red Bull. And it, it was disappointing that it, it really heated out and just like wilted on the vine just the way that it did and they they just I mean they delivered so many times on Saturday and then they disappointed so many times on Sundays I mean it was almost embarrassing at times and and how predictable it was it's just like well I wonder what's going to happen to Ferrari this weekend what are they going to do to ruin their weekend this week and it just uh, it almost became like a a little bit of of a running joke and you could almost hear the exasperated groans of the tofosi every time something happened on on a Sunday afternoon during a Grand Prix. So it will be interesting to see, though, what sort of impact Frederick Vassour has on this team and on, uh, and on this program, because I mean he he's literally only just turned up on the job just in the the last several weeks. So I mean he's he's really joining late in the game for you know to have any really meaningful input on the development of, of this car. So he he's really inherited the design and this this uh, you know the like you say, the evolution of the SF-1, or sorry, the F-175 for this year, right? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and
0: he, No, I was just going to say, he did very much acknowledge that as well, and a quote here from F1.com, and this is Frederick Vasseur, it's always emotional for a team to do the launch. My contribution is very small on this one, but I can perfectly feel the work done on the car. Now it will be a new journey for the project because the car will move to the race team. It's a great feeling when you're back on track. It's like when you're back at school. I can feel that everybody is very proud of the job done, and this feeling is very important for the motivation of everyone and for the season it will be quite a long season but the motivation is there and it's crucial in terms of performance so I appreciate the humility and the candidness right that he came in what December around Christmas time about this yeah yeah, like they, they would have just been wrapping up whatever work they were doing before the mandated two week break at Christmas Obviously, his input wasn't significant. And he's been very clear that I think a steady hand and more reliability is all that they were looking for this year. And they're not going to take any risks from an aerodynamic perspective because they feel that what they were doing last year was the right direction and and paired with a more reliable power unit. And again, let's be honest, both their drivers made mistakes last year, especially Carlos Sainz early in the season that with a more steady hand behind the wheel with a more reliable power unit and continuing on to the evolution of last year's aerodynamic formula, this is a car that should be winning. A significant number of Grand Prix this year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, l- let's be clear. I mean, the-, the struggles and the issues that they had in 2022 was a team effort. It just wasn't. The reliability, and it wasn't the totally Gremlins. Agree. It totally was, it agree. was also the calls made on the pit wall. It was also the 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 strategies that they went into the race, and like you say, the, and very uh, you know correctly that it was the drivers too that had their own issues and disappointed at times. So I mean, they all had a hand in the frustrating season that was uh, twenty twenty three. Anyways, before we move on to the next one, Mark, do you have any uh, any more thoughts about this? What do you think of the livery for for the for the Ferrari? I love it. I, I love you it. do.
0: Just do. a quick note: you called out that spillover of black on the shark fin at the back of the car so last year there was a little bit and it kind of was a gradient that went into red it's much more pronounced this year but that's not black it's exposed carbon fiber so again I'm a big 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 fan of carbon fiber I would have a black carbon fiber hood on my VW Tiguan if they made one and they probably (laughs) do and now I'm gonna have to google it but I I love the exposed the raw carbon fiber look and again I think we're gonna see a lot of carbon fiber this year because teams are gonna be looking to shave every ounce of weight off of their cars as possible and and reducing paint is an easy way to do that.
1: Yeah, that that's that's a very good point. Yeah, I love the carbon fiber look too. It just looks. Uh- it looks cool. It's a, it's a very neat look. Okay, yeah,
0: that's, a, that's a perfect way. It just looks cool. You don't have to rationalize your love for carbon fiber. It looks cool. End of story?
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay. Am, am I, am I safe to move on to the next one? Or are you going to shut me down like you did when no, I no, transitioned? No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's keep moving. Okay. The AMR twenty three. The Aston Martin. Another nice looking car. This metallic British racing green with the nice yellow stripe and then the black on the underbody of the or on the on the on the, on the bottom of the side pods and running, running along the bottom of the nose, another nice looking car. Hammy, what, what do you think of this one?
0: I think it's remarkably similar to the RB 18. And I think that is very much in intentional. And I think if we flash back to last year, partway through the season, maybe a third of the way through the season, Aston Martin had brought a fairly significant aerodynamic upgrade to both of their cars. And in, Doing so, the car looked remarkably similar to their Red Bull rival. Now, of course, there was a point during the season where Aston Martin just cashed out his chips and stopped development on the 2022 car and went all in on the 2023 car. So by the end of the season, the Red Bull and the Aston Martin looked very different because, of course, Red Bull was evolving and evolving and evolving and iterating and iterating upon that Red Bull car throughout the entire duration of the season. So by the time we got to November, the cars looked totally different. This car looks an awful lot like the Red Bull that finished last season. Now, it's not a total copy and paste job because, of course, they have different power units and different power units have different cooling requirements. And a lot of the aerodynamic body work, and a lot of the body work is designed to accommodate the placement of radiators and cooling inlets and piping and plumbing and all those different components. So it's not an exact replica of the RB18 is not a complete Red Bull replica, but there are definitely design cues. The other big takeaway, and you and I talked a lot about this at the beginning of last year, was the front nose of the AMR22 was very, very high. And I think there was a lot of memes that kind of... Impl- or implied that it was like a four by four an off roader, but that has come down significantly. The front wing has been respaced. Um, it looks like it looks like the front cockpit's been moved forward a little tiny bit, and of course, there's been significant work done on the floor. But if you are going to borrow styling cues and aerodynamic cues, uh, there's far far worse cars that you could borrow those from than the than the Red Bull. Now, of course, again, because they have a Mercedes power unit and not a Honda power unit, they can't cop be that much. uh, But there are certainly cues taken from the Red Bull. I don't know if you picked up on that. But you know, when I did the AB comparison, it was immediately obvious that that was the case.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the, the one thing that, uh, that that I want to uh, just remark about, like the the comparison to the RB18 is that this team, Aston Martin, and then before that um, a racing point, they aren't afraid to borrow concepts for, from other teams. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say that there was the, the, the whole pink Mercedes uh, scandal because it wasn't a scandal, but it was it was definitely a controversy when they rolled out that pink Mercedes a couple of years ago, just how similar it looked to the uh, what would have been at the time, the W10, the W. Eleven, it doesn't matter, but it was uh, remarkably like that uh, that 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 uh, Mercedes car that year. So, I mean, but but that's just the thing in general, though, that if if somebody stumbles across something in Formula One that works, you know, if if it is a legit discovery, then the other teams, not all of them, but um, you know, lots of people will try to mimic and develop that concept uh, themselves. My my one big question is about uh, when it comes to Aston Martin, is is about the team themselves. I mean, Lauren Stroll and his partners have been dumping in tens and hundreds of millions of dollars into this team both on and off the track and i just kind of wonder like i mean they, they've had a couple of years to you know to to get this project up uh, up and running they're moving into the new facility at silverstone it's just like how long is it going to take before they're legitimately competitive because you, you and i were extremely excited about this team two years ago in 2021 and it was kind of a lukewarm season the as, as the first year is uh, Aston Martin, and last year was was disappointing. They they, they had some flashes here and there, but. But as you pointed out just a, f- a few moments ago, it was pretty obvious that, at, at some point last year they decided, okay, this car is what it is. We're going to focus more on 2023, and we're going to go all in on the design of that car and the build of that car. Now the big question is, was that the, the uh, what was the gamble? Was that the gamble that was worth taking? Did they pull it off? And you know, we're just going to have to sit tight here for a couple of weeks to see you know, this car in action to see whether whether they pulled it off or not.
0: The race.com also references or makes reference to another critical change that Aston Martin made over the past couple of years. And that, of course, was the inclusion of Dan Fallows, the team's technical director, who was recruited over from Red Bull. And this is the first car that he's overseen in its entirety. And I'm reading here from the race.com, and this is quoting Dan Fallows, but he says, I think that you can see the car is very, very different from last year. Around 95% of the car is actually completely different from the AMR22. We went into this development phase trying to be bold, trying to be aggressive, trying to make or take on lessons from last year. We did make quite a bit of process or progress with the AMR22. We wanted to make sure that this is a sensible evolution of that. It also gives us a really good platform to develop on, but at the same time, to make sure that it was aggressive, that we did give a big challenge to all the engineering teams, make sure they were really pushing themselves. and I think you can see that in the design of this car. So It might be less that they simply identified the RB18 as a really good model for borrowing aerodynamic concept from, but also the fact that Dan Fallows probably had his DNA and his fingerprints on the RB18 from last year simply because of his time at at Red Bull, um, and likewise probably bought some of his best practices to, to Aston Martin as well. And then ultimately, we talk about this as well, that at some point during a phase of a regulation, like a regulatory period, eventually the engineers and the designers are going to just start drawing the same conclusions. They're going to recognize that certain conclusions are wrong and certain are more, are more applicable. And eventually that's where we all get to anyways. It could just be that they've already drawn the same conclusions. But again, it's very, very similar to the RB18 and it could be for a couple of reasons that it is such
1: yeah yeah you made a great point I I didn't want to bring that up because I forgot what Dan you know I I forgotten (laughs) I forgot the name so I was going to sit there and kind of scratch and uh, but good for you uh, for remembering that but yeah I mean that that is a really really good point that obviously he can't bring that information over with him when he moves from team to team because there's there's obviously confidentiality and that's the 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 private property proprietary uh, property of Red Bull but like you say he can bring those practices and those concepts with him and then start on, on on a, on a clean exactly. slate and exactly. and start implementing and an a new design and of course if you have two teams that have uh, the influence of a uh, of, uh, you know a top level person like that you know a designer then of course you're going to see a lot of similarities uh, between those two cars so which one's going to be better it going to be the red bull or the aston martin i i mean for me the aston martin the the, the benchmark is where they've been the past two years i mean First of all, I want to see where they are relative to where they were last year and the year before, before I start comparing them to to other teams. I mean, of course, when the lights uh, go green at the first uh, Grand Prix and they're at at the back, then (laughs) that's going to be a pretty obvious uh, statement uh, that things just aren't going uh, right. But I mean, if it's kind of similar to what we've seen the last couple of years, it's just like, where is that? Are they incrementally faster or slower or whatever it uh, might be? Okay, the next one, if I'm allowed to to move forward, would be the Alpha Tauri. They had their livery reveal in New York uh, this week. Uh, the Alpha Tauri, what is uh, what is the name of the car for this year? I'm not sure what it is. Anyways, uh, it at04. <laughs> ATO four. It sounds like a droid from Star Wars, but it's the ATO four. I was gonna say ATO nine and then I couldn't find it in my notes here. So it's a predominantly uh the navy blue. Is that is it a navy blue? It looks navy blue to be. Me. I mean black and navy blue almost look the same to my eyes anyways, but I guess, you know, I'm losing color perception as i get older but it's a nice looking car with the uh, touches of uh of red on some of the barge boards the halo on the rear wing but uh, it's a nice looking car i have to admit i know you and i two years ago were just completely in love with those white wheels white that they wheels. had white yeah wheels. that yes, was yes. such a nice look and unfortunately they moved away from that uh, last year but i mean overall the car looks really nice that that really dark blue like i say with the the the, the stylized alpha Tauri logo on the side of the car on the uh, on the engine cover on the air box and uh, the stylized well i mean obviously there's the tie with red bull so the bull in the middle on the uh, the engine cover alpha towery on the side pods eh, you know hammy i think this is a really nice looking car i like the look
0: yeah, all we got with the AlphaTauri, I guess like its sister car in the Red Bull, we simply got a livery reveal. We didn't get to see the car. We will shortly as they start to shake these things down as we get closer to preseason testing. I thought it was very cool that they also did their livery reveal, the car reveal in New York City. It was kind of a hybrid car reveal slash fashion show because of course, AlphaTauri is a clothing brand that I think, I think is popular in Europe. I've certainly never seen it here. Um, shout out to AlphaTauri, by the way, because they've elevated their game and their standards and they actually invited uh, Lily Herman who I think is based in New York to attend so she was there so it was super super cool that one of the friends of uh, our program were there in presence or in presence there. But yeah, it's good looking. It's, it's fairly muted colors. Um, of course, like you said, they've gone away from the white wheels in part because they've got wheel covers on them now. I would love to see somebody experiment with a white wheel cover, but there's not really a lot else to say because of course, as with any Red Bull or Alpha Tauri Toro Rosso car, the Red Bull branding is always going to be dominant. It's nice to see the Honda badge on the back of the engine cover close to the front wheel, just above the the rear wheels, but yeah, it looks fine. It looks fine. I guess. I guess really now, it's just a matter of waiting till preseason testing to get a sense of what the real car looks like.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Hey, let's uh, take a quick break here, Mark. We'll come back on the other side. We still have to talk about the McLaren. We still have to talk about the Alpine, and then we still have a bunch of news to to get into. So we'll take another quick break. We'll come back on the flip side and pick up right where we're leaving off. So don't go away. We will be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the show. And the next one up is the McLaren MCL60. So Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri were on hand to help uh, reveal the 2023 McLaren uh, Formula One car. So, what do you think about this one? I mean, a- again, it's a, it's a very similar look. It's an evolution on the livery and the design that they had uh, last year. What, what do you think, Mark? I I I I mean. It's it's a nice looking car. I kind of liked it a couple of years ago when there was more papaya on the car. That's now been kind of supplemented and replaced by and large with uh, some more black and other colors on there. But all in all, I think it's a it's a it's a nice look. It's definitely on brand for this modern um, iteration, the the modern version of McLaren, if you want to call it that. Good looking car.
0: Yeah, it's fine. I think one of the things that I really like from a design perspective is the way they've integrated the Google logo into the wheel covers for that kind yes. of 360 degree circular circular design. But it's it's fine ultimately and I'm probably getting ahead of myself because we're going to be recording our season preview show next week, which is typically one of our most downloaded episodes of the year. But I don't feel that I'm getting too far ahead of myself when I say this is a team that's got an awful lot of expectations on them this year. Of course, they, they fell a spot in the champion standings last year, missing out on just missing out, I think, on a a higher position by 14 points or something ridiculous. Of course, this year, they're introducing Oscar Piastri. Andrea Stella was present, of course, at the Car and Veal, as was Zach Brown. The car looks good. We don't necessarily know a lot about it. It is, of course, a customer team. So they're packaging that Mercedes power unit in the back of it. They will through 2025, at which point we'll probably see a significant um, change. And hopefully, like you and I talked about last week, a works partnership with Honda. But it's it's a good-looking car. Um, the papaya or the orange looks very, very good. I, I like it. I like the brandishing of the blue. It's it's a good-looking car. I just I don't necessarily have a lot to say. The one thing that I would note is the T. Team and the executives that were speaking on behalf of McLaren seemed to be relatively defensive already about. And I should actually yeah, defensive yeah. is the wrong word. They came across as relatively guarded and acknowledging Perfect that. Word the car they're going to bring to preseason testing isn't the car they want to be bringing to t- preseason testing. And the car that's probably going to show up somewhere around Australia is the car that they wanted to show. So for reasons that aren't immediately obvious to the general public, they feel that they're somewhere somewhat behind in their design cycle. I thought that was an interesting acknowledgement, but I think it's also smart that it's important, I think, just kind of taking this into like the business realm, I think it's important whenever possible for the CEO or a CFO to play down expectations for the company's performance in an upcoming fiscal quarter. You want to temper expectations with analysts. What you don't want to do is excite them because if you don't deliver to those levels that you created in terms of an expectation, you get pummeled and there's a lot of criticism and your stock takes a beating. So I think it's smart that they're being very guarded and cautious because they're helping to better calibrate. What our expectations of this car should be. So early on, should we be disappointed? Yeah, but it's better to be disappointed now than to be very disappointed three or four races into the season when they're sitting fifth or sixth behind Alpine and Aston Martin and Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull. So Interesting revelations today. The car looks good. Hopefully, they'll be able to put things together. And again, a lot of pressure this year on that young Oscar Piastri because, of course, last year they missed out on a higher positioning in the Constructors' Championship, almost exclusively because of the poor performance of Daniel Ricciardo. I think they're going to be looking to make up that position this year and compete for fourth in the Constructors' Championship, and that means Oscar needs to be at the top of his game from the jump.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I mean, the thing is like uh, Oscar is a, a hot young prospect, right? And the thing is, Ricardo, for whatever reason, I mean, he he just sort of has been fading over the last couple of years. And it's been uh, a little bit like watching a car wreck in slow motion. I love Danny Ricardo. And, you know, he he's such a great personality, but it, it, he's just been so You know, underwhelming the last couple of years, and it was just, um, it just wasn't you know good enough at the at the end of the day that he just wasn't being able to deliver. You know, not not even on the same level as say Lando was, but I mean, he should have been able to do a lot more. If he if he's not able to match Lando, that's one thing. But I mean, Lando was obviously doing the the, the car was capable, right? I mean, if he was faster than than Ricardo, that's one thing. But Ricardo should have been able to score more points with the car that he had, not just last year, but he did probably even the year before. So there were a lot of points left out on the track, and it, it was just kind of strange to me. It was just like, okay, the first year you might kind of like understand that it might take a driver the better part of a season to really get you know, embedded in a team and really get used to the car and get comfortable with the car and I mean, we saw that with Sergio Perez a couple of uh, two years ago at Red Bull it, it really took him a good half two thirds of the season before you could tell that he was really settled in he really understood the car and it was really starting to work for him which is difficult especially in a team like Red Bull where the car is designed exclusively around Max Verstappen but kind of like you know, taking that same example with Danny Ricard it was just like he never really seemed to settle in at McLaren, really find his groove. And just over time, that that delta between himself and Lando just uh, started to get bigger and bigger. So, you know, th- they're not really, in my mind, losing anything. I mean, it would have been more of a gamble, I think, to keep uh, Danny Ricciardo on. Considering he's he's a veteran driver, he's been around for a long time, and probably going to command a, a much larger salary than Oscar Piastri. So, you know, maybe they got lucky. Maybe, maybe they find that uh, that that it's a plug and play situation with the with, with Oscar. He's going to go into that car. And he's going to start being competitive and scoring ports points regularly right out right out of the shoot and maybe not. I mean, if if he's performing on the same level as, uh, as Danny Ricardo, maybe it's a little bit of uh, of hit and miss Then you can kind of look at it from the point of view. Okay. Well, we, we haven't really gained anything, but the thing is Oscar's a young driver. He's only going to get better as he matures. So we, we, we've got a rock star. We, we've got one of the best drivers in formula one with Lando Norris. So maybe we just have to sit uh, on Oscar and let him mature a little bit in the car in the meantime. And then if they get uh, both of those drivers, both firing in all cylinders, I mean, oh boy, look out. I mean, uh, you have the you know, Lando, who's a, a fantastic driver, and if Oscar Piastri turns out to be anything as good as or potentially even better than Lando Norris, that could be a, an exciting pairing to watch, right? We'll
0: just wrap this up quickly and I'm just referencing the race.com here. They're reporting that Stella mentioned during the release or the reveal of the car that they're aiming for an upgrade package around the fourth race of the season. And they also have a good quote here from Andrea Stella. And he says, over the course of the season, we would like to establish ourselves as part of the top four, says Stella. We know realistically that with the top three teams, there may be potential just to be in the fourth best car over the course of the season. We are realistic in the very short term. There's good developments already in the pipeline pipeline that should land trackside very early in the season. This should allow us to take a decent step forward, but we are not naive. So Mercedes, or Mercedes, McLaren certainly has some work to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so the last one now is the Alpine. So this one featuring a lot of pink uh, livery on it, the the BWT. So that's uh, obviously the livery that we saw with Aston Martin and also with uh, with the uh, Racing Point. So that's obviously the tie in with uh, Otmar Safna, our team principal at uh, at Alpine, who was also the former team principal at um, Aston Martin slash Racing Point slash Force India. I like this one. Alpine is uh, another one of these teams that they're they're kind of the best of the rest. Uh, they kind of uh, leapfrogged ahead of uh, McLaren last year in the constructors' uh, championship. What do you think, Mark? Are, is is this a team that's a, a bit of a dark horse? Is this a team that we maybe could uh, look to see to to do something this year? But first of all, let, let let's talk about the car itself. Do you like the livery on the Alpine? Yeah,
0: I do, because I'm especially partial to pink, and it sounds like based on what they said at the car reveal today. And by the way, a huge shout out to Mr. Kevin Kelly. So I was doing a spaces chat earlier today, and he said, hey, so Mark, what did you think of the LP?" And I'm like, "LP." He released the LP today. So I had completely <laughs> forgotten. I had put together the entire agenda for the show, and I had completely forgotten the LP. And so kudos, kudos to Kevin Kelly for uh, helping make sure that the outline for the show was complete and not incomplete. But I, I like it. I, I'm particularly partial to the blue. I'm partial to pink. Obviously, BWT, who was a former sponsor of Aston Martin, of course. Well, I guess less so Aston Martin, but Force India and Racing Point. They moved over and became a, a primary or, uh, say, principal sponsor of the Alpine team. It looks like they're going to be rocking a dominant or entirely pink uh, livery at a couple of races this year, similar to the way they did at the beginning of the season last year. I still don't know a significant amount about this car, but just jumping to your earlier point, man, like to me that this is a works team and, and we should be talking about Alpine or Renault in the same breath that we do Ferrari and McLaren. Sorry, less not McLaren, but in the same breath that we do Mercedes and and Ferrari and and the other works team. Like this is a true full on works team. And I know they don't have any customers, so they don't benefit from the data that they would get by supplying power units to other teams. But there's no world in which they should really be competing with a customer team like McLaren that if they are if they are behind McLaren in the in the constructor standings, that's more than an indictment of Alpine Renault than it is an acknowledgement of McLaren doing great things. And well, We'll certainly touch on this when we do our season preview show next week, but this is this is a car, this is a team that absolutely has to finish in the top four. If it doesn't, again, maybe it means that the competitive parity of the sport or the sporting competitiveness or the competitive parity of the sport is getting better. But ultimately, this is a team that absolutely, with all of its resources, should finish ahead of of McLaren. Again, I think the car looks good. I'm very excited to see what the chemistry, the dynamics going to be like between Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly because there's a very well documented history between the two of those two mm-hmm. young French drivers. I guess they're not so young anymore. Of course, they both want to Grand Prix, so they have that going for them. But it'll be interesting. This is also, of course, the first, I, I would say, I I would say Otmar's probably overseen the entire development cycle of this car because, of course, he joined the team late in 21, was there for all of 22. So this is probably the first car that he's overseen the entire development cycle for. Last year, I think, was probably a disappointment, all things considered, for the team. I think they probably would have loved to be competing for some race wins that wasn't to be. Uh, But I think that this is a season that's going to be packed with pressure, especially for for Otmar and hopefully we learn more about the car when the preseason testing happens in a couple of weeks in Bahrain
1: okay so now now that we've talked about the uh, the five reveals this this week can I I say something that I just have to get off of my chest? I, I I have to admit I'm very underwhelmed to a certain extent by the reveals. You know why? Because they're livery reveals. Like like I remember like this time 2022. Mark was so excited for all the reveals because the new cars and everything like that. And th- then when it just uh, you know we get like the livery reveal rather than the look at the car. I, I just feel a little bit disappointed. So in fairness,
0: I, in fairness, some of these are real cars, right? Like some like some of them are. Some Alfa of them Terry are. Yeah. no, Red Bull no. But of course, like. When we see something like the aston martin or the mercedes like some of these teams are coming with the goods and again we shouldn't be too excited about those because even if they're showing you something other than a show car they probably don't want to give away too much because they don't want to lose that competitive advantage but but i agree that i would love to see actual cars. But then again, what's the point? Because they're going to be completely different in three weeks. So <laughs> if if yep. delivery reveals or if the car reveals or nothing more than a really great opportunity to make whole uh, to your sponsors, then so be it. But, But I don't know.
1: Maybe I'm just being a little bit uh, greedy, but <laughs> I, I can't help it. But but it's great. You know, it is exciting because the the one thing is that now we, we've we basically seen all of them. That now that means that the next thing we're really going to be talking about very soon is winter testing. And we're going to get a look as these cars uh, get on the track for the first time. They get a chance to shake them down. Of course, it's, it's really going to be difficult to, to really uh, compare a Ferrari to the Mercedes and the Mercedes to the Red Bull, etc. But it will be uh, not too long. Before we get to the first uh, first race of the first qualifying session and things like that, but it's 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 definitely a step in the right uh, direction, and it's great to, to see them all getting uh, unveiled okay so we should uh, maybe move on to some uh, news uh the itself uh, i did have here just a, a little discussion there was a uh, an article here on uh motorsportmagazine.com about uh, oscar piastri i feel like we, we we'd already touched on this one so i'm going to breeze right over this one because you you already mentioned this off the top of the show it wouldn't be a Scuderia f1 podcast if we didn't talk about politics and the fia and their clampdown on drivers anyways uh lewis Hamilton and and i say that a little bit uh the know tongue-in-cheek <laughs> because you know we, we have had some comments oh you guys say that your show is pol- political but you've devoted a lot of talk in recent episodes to the whole fia clamp down on the the, the drivers and any statements they want to make anyways uh lewis hamilton said that he's uh, going to continue to speak his mind on important issues regardless of what the fia is going to do in regards to to clamp down on political into uh, protests and, and and things like that um anyways uh lewis um you know, he hasn't, been, you know, shy to speak his mind and 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 stand up for what he believes in, which which is great. I mean, I really admire him for that. Anyways, um, uh, Lewis said, um, uh, "Quotes or anyways talking about the the FIA's uh, decision to clamp down drivers." He said, "Quote: It doesn't surprise me, but nothing will stop me from speaking on things I'm passionate about and on issues that there are. The sport does have a responsibility still to speak out to create awareness on important topics, particularly as we travel to all these different." Places, so nothing changes for me. End quote. Mark, what do you think about uh, Hamilton's statement?
0: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's great, and I don't think we probably really could have expected anything else from Lewis. He's absolutely been at the forefront of of bringing to the attention of the global community causes that are really important to him, and that really should be important to all of us. I think it's just once again, Lewis is the how I say the front runner, the forebearer. Of, of being the voice of so many of these causes. And I think ultimately he's not going to adapt his behavior because of an FIA quote unquote clampdown. But I don't doubt that if the FIA is going to regulate and attempt to govern, he's probably going to be the first one that feels the brunt of whatever force they want to inflict. So again, kudos to Lewis. I, I think the causes that he brings to the forefront are incredibly important. Um, I think he's been incredibly eloquent and and respectful in the way that he's done so. And I think he's opened up some really great lines of communication and conversation about topics that deserve to be at the forefront of, of the general conversation. I just, I feel for him because there's an expectation that he's going to be that person and that guy. And I think unfortunately, as we saw with the jewelry band, he's probably going to be the first one that airs on the, on the wrong side of the FIA and we're probably going to find out sooner rather rather than later whether the FIA quote-unquote clampdown has teeth or not and hopefully it doesn't and hopefully they back away from it but uh, kudos to Lewis for not stepping down from something that's important to him.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the next story that uh, this kind of blends into is the, uh, the the comments from F one CEO Stefano Domenicali, who said the, this week that the Formula One is actually prepared to cancel races over human rights uh, concerns at uh, different uh, or in different countries where they host uh, races. And, you know, I, I find this an interesting comment because, you know, th- they certainly haven't had any outward reservations when it's come to going to some of these uh, different places that have drawn criticism, you know, especially when it comes to sport washing and things like that. And, you know, now that he's come and maybe said the quiet part out loud, it's just like, you know, Stefano, if you're actually going to say that you guys are going to do that, that you're going to have to actually... At some point, either walk the walk and talk the talk, or you know, or, or or not. I mean, if you if you said that you're going to do it, you have to be prepared to do it because he said that they actually have. Auditors, independent auditors, monitoring situations in different uh, countries, in different places that, where he says that they they have certain contracts, very clear articles in these contracts, that if things aren't going in what he says is the right direction, whatever that's supposed to be, they have the you know, the option to immediately stop things. So. You know, Wouldn't you love
0: but. to know what those articles are, right? Wouldn't you love to yeah. know? Because he says yeah. that, and it and he, he was quoted in Sky uh, Sky Sports News as having said that. He said, and I quote, we have also in our contracts very clear articles that if we see something that's not going in the right direction, we have immediately the benefit of stopping our relationship. So very, very interesting. And like you said, the fact that they have independent auditors that are verifying these articles in the contracts. Now, he also says, and I quote here, this is from racefans.net, and I quote, however, Domenicole says F1 can be a force for positive change change by bringing those countries to wider attention. And I quote, I do believe once again, that we are much more powerful if we are going to places where they are showing real change, will to change, and the spotlight of formula will help the speed of change to be faster. So I think, you know, I've obviously been very, very skeptical, and I'm not going to be an apologist for any government or any country, even the country that you and I live in, and even the other country that you and I have a passport for, like, I'm never going to be an apologist for those governments. And I think having mm-hmm. an open dialogue about how we can improve society and how things are getting better is very, very useful. Um, I think the measure in this is they're going to a lot of countries that haven't conventionally been a part of the calendar. And I'm okay to go there because I think Formula One can be a force for a change. And I think it's better sometimes that you go to these countries and you expose these countries to the global community because in doing so, you force change in and of itself. That if you're going to a country that has been strictly socially conservative for 50 or 60 years and hasn't been open to the global community, by bringing an F1 race on, you're forcing change upon that country. There is social pressures and social norms that need to be adopted. And I think, you know what, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia has obviously significant work to do to continue to adopt some of the social norms that have been accustomed in many countries for decades and decades and decades. But I think if you speak to people on the ground of that country, the transformation in their society in the last five years has been rapid and completely unexpected. And I think people in that country are mm-hmm. hugely excited about it. And they believe that events like Formula One Grand Prix help to introduce change and transformation to their country. So again, we need to continue to put pressure on these governments to make sure that they continue to evolve and transform and improve the standard of living and the quality of life for the people that live there and for the people that visit there. But I think to your point, the fact that he says this is, hey, look, you know what, if, if we go to a country, whether it's the PRC, or whether it's another country, and there is a very clear violation of human rights that hits the global headlines in every country in the world, are you going to are you going to live up to your commitment and walk away from that contract, even if it's $50 million a year? Now, Russia, I'm not going to give them any credit for Russia. Russia was a no-brainer, and they should have pulled out instantly. And to their credit, they did pull out pretty quickly. But I think that was such a no-brainer that it would have been illogical for them not to have moved out of that race and that that contract. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in some of these other countries if, if we do see an eruption in the compromise.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, absolutely right. And I, I think it's kind of interesting, sort of like a, you know, sort of a, another sort of spin off of this uh, d- discussion is that, that I really loved was, was, uh, what Sebastian Vettel did in Saudi. Like, what was it last year or the year before? We actually organized an event for, for female uh, drivers and they had like a karting event. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put words into Seb's mouth, but I'm, I'm basically going to paraphrase and parse from what he said. He, he was basically, it's one thing for me to, to sort of publicly say this and that about what I believe about like a country because I've read it or I've heard it but like the best way to, for me to find out what it's really like is to talk to the people and find out that, that live there and some of the issues that they're facing so I thought that was a wonderful thing uh, that, that that he did and you know I mean you know, sadly well I mean not sadly that he retired but I think that uh, that he really did uh, you know I, I think what he was doing was setting a very good uh, example <laughs> although you know we, we did talk about like uh, sometimes he really put uh, his foot into it especially with like the, the whole Whole oil sands thing at the Canadian Grand Prix when he said basically say no to the uh, the oil sands on his helmet livery while also at the same time rocking the uh, Saudi Aramco <laughs> the know badges on the on the same helmet. You know there there was like a, a bit of mixed mes- messaging there, but I, I believe um, Sebastian Vettel and other drivers, you know, their their hearts and their intent is in the right place, but you know just kind of steering it back to the you know the comments made by Stefano Domenicali is that you know i i'd love to know what those sort of triggering indicators or events are that would um, you know make them cancel a grand prix because obviously the whole russia ukraine thing like you say that that was that that was obvious but when it's when i wouldn't say less tangible but maybe less visible from the outside from from one country invading another like maybe the some you know what are some of the issues? What are the other indicators that they want to know? And you know, would they actually have the guts to do it? I, you know, I remain to be convinced it's, it's one thing to say publicly, but you know, if they had good reason, they, they did it. I would be pleased to know, to see that they actually had the courage to do so. But like I say, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent convinced yet. So yeah, I, I remain to be, you know, you know, see the proof should it happen, but who knows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, let's move ahead. So, sticking with Stefano Domenicali, he's uh, he's criticized Michael Andretti for what he said, "quotes shouting and pushing the system to get into Formula One." Happy, why don't you take this one and run away with it? Because uh, we've Obviously talked way too. Obviously, a topic a bit I'm about-
0: comfortable with. And <laughs> I I feel terrible that I I keep bringing this topic up in different ways, but it's something I'm passionate about. Like, look, I am all for having an 11th team. I'm all for having a 12th team on the grid, but I want to make sure that if we're introducing a team to the grid, that it's something that the teams want. And I think it's okay that their input be solicited and their feedback be considered. And I think it's also important that Liberty, who is ultimately the one instructed and responsible for the financial health of the sport that they should have a very significant say in who is joining the grid. Because the reality is like, this isn't the NFL where you have 32 teams or the NBA where you have 30 or major league baseball where you have 30 or the NHL where you have 32 teams. This is formula one. There are 10 teams on the grid and the Concord agreement allows two more. And the reality is even in 2025, when we renew the Concord agreement, even if we push that to 13 teams, 26 cars, that's only three new teams. And if you, if you commit to a team and they don't end up providing significant value to the sport in terms of monetization and fan support, and they don't commit as well as the other teams, you're like, there's a lot of. There's a lot of icky pieces here that if you commit to the wrong team, it's very difficult to unwind that commitment because you can't relegate them down to F2 that they're effectively on the grid permanently, which is kind of the situation that we're in with Haas that I think in hindsight, Formula One probably would have gone in a different direction if they knew the health of the sport was going (laughs) to increase so much by 2023. But in this case, Stefano Domenicali being interviewed by Sky Sport um, says, and I quote, very welcoming of everyone that is bringing value to the racing. Um, But he says with respect to, of course, the Andretti group, there are others Um, There are others that are much, sorry, and I quote here, we need to respect everyone. There are teams like Mario and Michael Andretti being very vocal about their will to enter Formula One. But in my view, we're not smart to say that teams are greedy to protect themselves. That's my opinion. And he continues, there are others that are much less vocal that would like to come into Formula One. So there is a process to respect and we will make sure together with the FIA that the process will be Respected. And finally he concludes, we don't have to overreact because somebody is pushing the system, says Dominicoli. We need to take action because I believe that today what is more vital to, is vital is to protect the growth of the sport and also the sustainability of the teams that have already invested in Formula One in the times where things were very different. The value of that investment today for the pure commercial point of view is much more different than just a couple of years ago. So I think that the process that will be done will be done seriously in the right way. And no one can put that with the anxiety to take the right decision because someone is shouting and some other less shouting. And and I do agree that that Andretti and the Andretti group really tried to muscle their way into Formula One. And I kinda get it because there was never a clear process for submitting an application. Like If they're going to submit an application, you're going to deny it. Great. But what is the process? So Because there wasn't a clear process, they tried to find a way. They tried to force their way in. and Of course, that clearly upset Liberty and that clearly upset the teams. Ultimately, I think eventually there will be a collaborative submission of team entries. Of course, the FII is doing its own thing right now, which of course runs contrary to what Liberty believes they should be doing. But eventually there'll be consideration for teams. I don't think it'll be 23. I don't think it'll be 2024. I think the teams are going to kick this down the road as far as possible. So in the new Concord Agreement in 2025, they can significantly increase that anti-dilution fee. And you know what, if the teams come together with Liberty and they put in a $600 million anti-dilution fee, and there's a team that checks all the boxes and is willing to pay that, I think they're going to be cool. But if the team checks those boxes now and is only having to pay $220 million, I don't think it's greedy for the teams to say no. These are the teams that invested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into the sport at times when the financial well-being of the teams and of the sport as large wasn't as good as it is right now and even I, I'm an outsider I don't have a stake, I don't own stock kind of bugs me that there's teams suddenly showing up and knocking on the door now when things are great when they could have been mm-hmm. on the grid for nothing five years ago when the financial well-being of the sport was far more in question so kind of bugs me a little bit too and again, again, I want to see 11th team I want to see a 12th team, I want to see the Concord Agreement amended in 2015 25 so we can have a 13th team but I just want to make sure that they take their time and they put the right teams on the grid and furthermore and again it's not my money I'm not going to benefit from this but if the teams believe that 600 million dollars is the right anti dilution fee or 800 million dollars kick the can down the road to 25 and get your money like that's why they're all in this to make money like we're all excited about going to Vegas but we're going to Vegas because that is a profit profit driver for the sport. We're excited because we're in Miami, but we're in Miami because there's money there. We're excited to have a new team on the grid. There's nothing wrong with the sport and the teams benefiting by that team bringing some financial, immediate financial value to them because in turn, they're going to benefit by being a part of the Formula One ecosystem.
1: Yeah, you know I I don't really have anything further to add because I I think that uh, you really nailed it uh, Mark and and as excited as I am to um, think that we could see an 11th, 12th and possibly a 13th team at some point in the future, I still go back and remember when I was a kid and they had like had to have like pre-qualifying and that there were teams that that even struggled to to make it out to, to qualify for for a Grand Prix and I mean uh, and, and obviously they if they struggled to even make it into to qualifying, they had no you know no hope of ever doing anything serious or productive in a race other than just being as my dad always said uh, they were mobile chicanes that you know the, the 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 teams that were there that were competitive teams would just fly around and start lapping some of these cars just mere laps into a grand prix so obviously we we've come a long way from there from from, from those days and certainly we don't want to see any of the teams um uh, you know, be be time wasters. I think the sport is in a good uh, good place right now, and I think that the sport is uh, generally quite uh, competitive. And we want to see more parity. We want to see more drivers, more teams uh, vying for 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 wins in championships and championships and and things like that. And certainly, we don't want them to expand uh, too fast, too quickly, and just uh, bring anyone into the sport. I mean, you know, I I don't have anything personally against uh, Andretti, but uh, you know, maybe they have been going around it uh, the wrong way. It's just because you know you're you know w- waving a big. Flag and making a lot of noise doesn't mean that uh, you should be uh, invited into the party. So, if they want to wait until they, they feel the time is right to let Andretti who, or whoever else that uh, that that uh, represents a you know a team or a, a group that could um, be legitimate and, and good for the sport, then you know I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. And much like yourself, I don't have any skin in the game. I have no financial uh, you know <laughs> interest in the sport. But as as somebody that's been a lifelong Formula One fan, I do have an interest in it. I do want to see the sport stable. I want to see the sport uh, continue to thrive and I want to uh, see it uh, expand slowly and surely but also uh, responsibly all right uh, we'll, we'll move along to the next one uh, this is another one uh, I think this is uh, again in your wheelhouse so yeah, it's baby. just uh, lockdown lessons that have helped plans for F1's 8k television future I mean I'll, I'll be honest I don't even have a 4k TV right now because you know the ones that we have are still kind of like ticking along so which is good because then you know I can just like when 8k TV comes out I can just skip right past and just uh, you know not have to upgrade to 4k I'll just go straight to 8k but where does it go from there yeah 16, dude 32, I feel like we're gonna be sitting here five so.
0: years so like no, i'm just gonna skip by 8k too i'm just gonna wait for 16k you deserve <laughs> our a 4k our, tv man i and I, so everyone totally knows at home, when I everyone is, is listening at home a couple of months ago you're like mark can you help me find a soundbar like i'm like for sure but yes. can you check the back of your tv because i just need to make sure you have a fiber optic output and you're like send me a photo of the tv it's like manufactured date like march 2011 i'm like what TV are you... So one, kudos <laughs> that you've got your money's worth out of that 1080p TV, but I yeah. need to speak to your family. They all need to chip in and get you a 4K TV at some point this year. I will help them. I will help make sure they get a good deal, but you
1: deserve a 4K TV. I, I totally agree, but you have to speak to my financial manager, who is also my wife, who was also a CPA. So, okay, you know, set up the meeting. There, there's... Cert- <laughs> you know, I, if you could make a, like a, a good business case, then she definitely will can consider it. But you know, it's just like, my uh, business n- case that- will be
0: this 4k TV or imminent divorce. Like I'm putting all your chips in at once. <laughs> I'm pushing all your chips into the middle of the table.
1: <laughs> oh man. wow well, that was not the aggressive play that I say you know, Dude, like it's expect you to go with. But- <laughs> like,
0: I want, I want a new psycho bunny crew shirt. Like, Divorce. like, I want a new OVO hoodie. Divorce. Like I, I just go straight to divorce every time. She generally acknowledges she's okay with that, but I also get what I want. Um, my friend, so yeah. I'm going to jump to the story. So this is no, a but really I'm just cool gonna story. hang on okay, for a second. Okay. Like, like, while we're talking about like, divorce. But if,
1: if that is like your play, like all, all the time, like when does it just come to the point that, that Sarah just says to you, okay, just go. Or. Is oh, <laughs> dude, 2020.
0: Like, I think that was
1: like early 2020 during COVID
0: when I was spending crazy <laughs> amounts of money on Amazon every day. Like, we are well past that point. I just call it blocking.
1: No, you just got to the point. You know, I actually I'm I'm, I'm kind of cool. I'm, I'm I'm okay with staying here, I guess. You know, <laughs> you know what? She's That's got hilarious. a five-year-old yeah. son
0: she loves, and I have crippling credit card debt. It's uh it's a balanced uh, balanced marriage. So motorsport.com <laughs> had a really great story that, as you said, reads how lockdown lessons have helped plans for F1's 8K. TV future. So a couple of stats from this article that I thought was really interesting. For every Grand Prix event, there are 90 cameras and 147 microphones installed, plus 80 kilometers of cable that have to be laid at the track. Now, the article goes on to state that in the past, everything was actually produced on location at the F1 broadcast center At the track, after which the world feed was provided to the individual broadcasters, individual right holder, then added their own commentary to the international feed and forward the images to their TV viewers at home. And I quote here, since 2020, however, and earlier than planned due to the COVID-19 enforced pandemic, footage from all the cameras at the track have now been sent directly to a specific location in England where TV production takes place at Formula One's remote operations center. It is from there rather than the track that the international feed is delivered to all of the international broadcasters. The fact that broadcast or the fact that production now takes place in England has several major advantages. Firstly, 36% fewer people are needed at the track for production purposes. Secondly, they have been able to replace the bulky F1 production center with an event technical center, which is about half the size. It means 70 tons less freight need to be transported to each race. This is a reduction of 34%, which is a significant contribution to F1's goal of hitting net zero carbon by 2030. In addition, it also saves a lot of time as there's no need to construct and deconstruct a huge and complex control room at each So the takeaway here is that in part inspired or motivated by the pandemic, they don't actually produce the race feed at the race. They film it there. The cameras are there. The mics are there. But all that digital data is sent back to a production center in England where the team is based. So that team doesn't travel to every single race. They just receive the feed. They put together the broadcast and then they send it out to all their broadcast partners who either use the SkyFeed audio or dub their own audio track on top of it. Now, the article speaks a little bit more as well about the technical challenge with respect to 8K and the huge amounts of data it consumes. But this was both exciting for me and disappointing. Exciting because I obviously look forward to a future where I have an 8K TV, but I've had a 4K TV since 2017. I still do not get 4K F1, which is hugely disappointing and shame on the national broadcaster in the country that we're based because we do not have a 4K feed. Now, I don't know about the US, but I'm also very confident that there isn't a 4K ESPN feed in the States. Now, I hope that somebody can reach out and say, hey, actually, we do have the 4K feed because that would be exciting. But today, I use the F1 TV Pro app, which of course is 1080p, 50 frames per second, which is good. And it streams really, really well. But I would love nothing more than to have a 4K feed. But based up here in Canada, We simply don't have that option. Um, Hopefully, in the U.S., they do. But it's good to know that the sport is looking forward to a future where they will be planning and distributing an 8K feed, which would be absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, one of those stats that really kind of stood or jumped out at me was—I mean, it's incredible that they have 50 miles of cable running around the track. By the way, nicely uh, done, converting it to American. Nicely done. It's just yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. But you know the the one thing that, I've, that 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 sort of jumps out at me that they have ninety cameras available, one hundred forty seven microphones. I know last weekend at the Super Bowl they had something like thirty two or thirty five cameras in the stadium, so they 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 could get literally every view of the ball, like every angle of the plays going on. So that you know ninety almost doesn't kind of seem like all that much compared to, you know, to to, to the Super Bowl. But I, again, it's a, it's two completely different, um, you know, scenarios, but that would be just uh, absolutely amazing. But, you know, like you say, like the national broadcaster that we have in the country where we live doesn't have a 4K feed. Yeah, well, I mean, sadly, when it comes to nice things like that, we always seem to be the last people on the block to get yeah, all the goodies. Yeah, that, probably because yeah.
0: TSN called and surveyed one customer and said, do you have a 4K? KTV, and you're like, no, and they're like, we don't need to do it. <laughs> and it was probably you they called.
1: No, it wasn't because, you know, like, uh, you know, weirdly, you know, like, we, we do have a landline. I I have no idea why, because I said years ago, I don't really see the point of, like, paying for one. So occasionally, like, we get, like, these unknown callers, which is always, like, some sort of, like, polling service or telemarketer. And, and just in general, I refuse to, like, answer the landline of just, like, I, I can't be, you know, I don't like living in the 90s anymore. I mean, 90s were cool, but... You know, so I, I can honestly say, you're know, like that. That's like that's like a good logical like uh, call, but you know, honestly, I can say that it it wasn't me. It was probably the other cheap person that lives next door to me or someone similar <laughs> that they called and ruined it for the rest of us. All right. Okay, so the, the next one it comes to care of us uh, from uh, BBC. So the uh, track invaders at Silverstone are guilty of causing a public a nuisance. So uh, this was a group of Just Stop Oil protesters that uh, they were found guilty recently of uh, what was called uh, risking serious harm during a track invasion at uh, the British Grand Prix. So there were uh, six people that were uh, convicted of uh, causing a public uh, nuisance. And, you know, I I, I don't have a problem with with people publicly protesting and voicing their concerns on you know social justice issues on on matters of the environment but it you know, do do it in the proper like place and time and the proper venue because, I mean to to run out on like a, a Formula One track I mean there are just so many horrible consequences that that could happen by people going out into the middle of a track where there are cars doing two hundred plus. You know miles an hour that just uh, it's just scary it's 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 the the wrong place in the wrong daily, time daily and it's, it's Let's not, not the right day
0: we had a red flag at the first corner of that race if there wasn't a red flag yeah. we very well could have seen people die the reality is yeah. they were on the track and I don't know how how quickly they understood the cars were coming because of course we did see footage of two cars approaching them at one point of course that was at a red flag condition so they are going more slowly but the reality is what if these cars approached that corner corner and there were people on the track or there are people running off the track and you hit the brakes and there's a pilot behind you like this could have been an absolute horror show and i hope the i hope the judge in this case takes this very very seriously that they were putting themselves at harm and they were putting the risk of the driver or the health of the drivers in a very risky position too i get i get I get protesting. I totally get it. This was absolutely stupid. Unless they were honestly willing to die for their cause, what they were doing Mm -hmm. was absolutely absurd, and I hope to see them get jail sentences.
1: Yeah, in this case, I really do not have very much sympathy for them. I mean, you know, by all means, if you want to voice your concerns, please do so, and I have no problems with that. It's just that this was not the 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 right place nor the right time, and it could have been disastrous for for so many different uh, you know scenarios that don't uh, bear uh, thinking about. Okay, uh, moving along, a couple more Formula One, actual Formula One related stories. Uh, super talented Lance Stroll has championship or championship potential, according to his new teammate Fernando Alonso. This is kind of an interesting uh, quote. So um, Fernando had to say, uh, quote, to see him achieve that and have him played a part in that, uh, whether it's behind the wheel or not, will be special for me. He has the speed, he has the talent, he has shown it many times, especially in wet conditions. I remember Lance's pole in Turkey in 2020 and some of his other excellent performances in the wet. To perform at that level in difficult conditions, you have to have a special feeling with the car. Uh, And quote, What do you think uh do you think that fernando is onto something like the thing is fernando he's never been afraid to speak his mind but he's never you know at least in my mind never really been one to kind of be like a bit of a suck up so i i I don't think that he's like to me i don't feel like he's just saying that because you know lance's dad also happens to be the owner of the team that he's racing for now so i i Sort of, kind of, almost feel like this is like a a genuine con- you know comment by Fernando, but I also feel like a little bit like uncertain. <laughs> Daily, we, that. I, both, I don't fully believe the words coming out of my mouth, man, dude. We both know Lance
0: is a very talented driver. I I don't think that's ever been in question. I think it's more about how hungry he is or how committed he is to being. A world champion caliber driver now he's never had a car that could necessarily propel him to a world championship and these these quote and i I do agree with your points by the way because if i if i'd heard these quotes from anybody but fernando alonso i really would have thought that Kay, this is pandering right like you're speaking about the son of your new boss who just signed you to a multi-year deal worth tens of millions of dollars there's a little bit of pandering here but i also don't believe it's in fernando's character to pander to anyone but at the same time his comments Mm -hmm. here are very very generous and and very very i don't know oozing with with rose petals like i remember lance's pole position in turkey and some of the other excellent performances in the wet like well i don't remember you ever speaking positively about Lance prior to joining this team but again it could also just be <laughs> it could also just be psychological too right in the sense that he knows that Lance is going to hear these comments and it's a great way to build trust and it's a great way to to build chemistry with a new teammate there could be a lot of reasons for these comments right and again he was probably and I don't know for sure but I'm pretty sure that these comments happened during the car reveal at which point Lance was present and Lawrence was present and Mike crack was present that a lot of the team were physically present and what else are you going to say like if somebody asks you about hey speak speak to me about the caliber of your new team driver you're going to say some things that are pretty glowing so again it doesn't sound it sounds out of character for fernando but given the context and maybe what he was trying to accomplish here, it's probably not so absurd but all that said i still i still live on lance stroll island I I feel like I'm the only one left on Lance Stroll Island, (laughs) uh, and I feel like he's capable of winning Grand Prix. I just I don't know how how much he wants it. But again, this should be this year's car. And you and I have been saying this for several years now. This this year's iteration (laughs) of the Aston Martin is transformational. They're going to compete for third in the Constructors Championship. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it's definitely going to be a better car than they had last year. And it is still powered by a Mercedes power unit
1: yeah you know when it, when it comes to Lance I, I I wouldn't say that I've left Lance Troll Island either although I feel like I'm starting into thinking about booking tickets home if Lance doesn't start you know giving me reasons to stay on yeah, the island yeah. for a little bit longer and and I mean that in, in, in a nice way as well I mean like, like you say I think we we all recognize that that Lance has talent he has potential it's to say oh, can he uncork that bottle and and actually uh, do something uh, with that okay final story of the night uh, the district court of of Amsterdam has issued a verdict in favor of Nick de Vries, uh, the new uh, Alpha driver, who's been in a, a legal dispute with one uh, with a longtime uh, sponsor, a fellow by the name of uh, Jeroen Schathorst, and that is for the amount of uh, five hundred thousand uh, euros. So the agreement that they had in pay was, or uh, that they had in place was, uh, de Vries was supposed to p- pay a fixed rate of three percent annually back to uh, Schothorst as well as fifty percent of his income. From all his Formula One related activities, the remaining amount of the loan would have had would have been waived if uh, De Vries had not secured a, a Formula One drive by uh, 2022. So uh, this all kind of flared up uh, last fall when um, when uh, Nick De Vries stepped in for Alex Albon at the Italian Grand Prix because you know uh, Alex had that uh, very scary moment where he had a uh, you know a medical emergency and then had to uh, spend uh, some some time recovering from that. Uh, um anyways uh, scott horse argued that the payment uh, clause was activated due to the fact that uh, that uh, De Vries uh, jumped in and 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 filled in for albon at monza but the judge, uh, the judge uh, that was looking over the case, ruled that uh, De Vries was not a uh, contract as a race driver at that time, and was uh, only uh, carrying out his uh, duties as uh, a reserve driver. So the uh, the, uh, the the one from the quote uh, from the judge is as follows: "Quote, he was not contracted as a race driver at the time; he was merely filling in for another driver with a, appendicitis." And what was it? Did he he had like cardiac arrest or something really scary? Wasn't it? Uh, Albon. So anyways, uh, Scott Horst, uh, he accused De Vries of uh, holding back on information by, uh, you know, not not uh, supplying him with uh, all uh, you know copies of his business agreements and his contract with McLaren and and things like that. And then uh, De Vries had a 26-page pe- uh, transcript of WhatsApp conversations as evidence to show that uh, he had regular contact with uh, Scott Horst and uh, pref- uh, pre- or. Tried to prove that he had fulfilled all his, um, you know, his obligations uh, to as a uh, sponsor. So, anyways, said uh, De Vries not on the hook to, to pay back that uh, whatever is remaining in that uh, five hundred thousand, sorry, five hundred thousand euro loan, which is uh, quite a bit of cash. And Hammy, I think we finally made it to to the end of the show. We had a, you know some technical hiccups here along the way and a ton of news. And, and I'm going to have to splice this one together. But uh, considering that part two of this, uh, th- this pod is already weighing in at uh, about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, makes me think that once the whole thing gets spliced together, that uh, this one is, uh, it, it's going to be as long as it feels. But yeah. Uh you know, let, let's just say that we're, we're full of energy despite it being uh, towards the end of the week. And I, I guess it's just uh, due to the fact that uh, we're, we're both excited to get this new season off and running as soon as possible, right? Oh, I got I got the nod and the silent <laughs> silent reply whenever I get whenever I get the head nod like that and and no vocalizations, no words. It's just like Hamilton's done that. That's that's my cue to start wrapping things up. But buddy, thank you for this. Uh, this was always good fun and looking forward to uh, getting some of these uh, these bonus shows, these extra shows uh, up and running. So look for uh, look for those to to drop into the feed over the, the the days and weeks ahead as we run up to the start of the Formula One World Championship, which will get underway and just three weeks from now and uh, until then if you want to stay in touch by all means give us a follow on twitter send us a tweet at scooter f1 pod and you can send us an email at scooter one pod at gmail.com and on behalf of, and on behalf of myself and i don't know what i'm saying anymore so it's been too long. so on uh, uh behalf of mr bark hailton and myself have a great weekend and we'll talk to you guys again very very soon bye for now